0: Hey, it's Konzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast.
1: A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth.
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
0: My kids are home from school. I said, uh, how was your day? What do you think they said, Stephen? Fine. Yeah. Good. Fine. Looking at their iPads. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't ask that question. John Wilner, Bay Area News Group superstar, joining us. He is the co-host of the all-new podcast, Konzano and Wilner. You can grab it wherever you get a podcast. Wilner, what do your kids say when you ask them how school was?
1: Uh, I'm not sure because they mumble.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I shouldn't ask.
1: I mean, it's hard to get anything out of them other than, uh, you know, get off your screen. No. That's
0: about it. <laughs> we also have a uh, we have a little rule in our household. We don't let them get on the screens before school, like in the morning. That's a big no. But they can have they can get on when they get home. And so you know, at- meanwhile I'm at the breakfast table uh, on Twitter. So I don't know how hypocritical that is. Uh, Wilner, let me ask yeah, that's you. That's a big issue. That's is
1: a big <laughs> issue. True. They watch. They see me, and they're like, "Why? Well, if you can do it, why can't
0: I?" So. Yeah, cause tell them you're paying the mortgage. Um, let yeah, me ask. That's a good one. Let me ask you a question, uh, Brett Yormark, the Big Twelve Conference Commissioner. He comes out today, throws one grenade, says, "You know, he's looking west into the fourth time zone," which is interesting. Uh, he also said that uh, he is uh, he kind of dancing around the semantics of that early negotiating window with ESPN and Fox, and he says that they're planning to talk about early negotiations. What is he doing by, by being so public with all this stuff?
1: Well, I mean, he certainly is trying to show his membership, which is, the, you know, behind uh, in a, on the contractual timetable, they are behind the Pac-12 by a full year, behind the Big Ten by two years. So what I think he's doing is trying to show his membership that he's he's being aggressive and he's out there and he's he's trying to do everything possible to kind of make up that distance uh, in st- the strategic distance that separates the Big Twelve from the Pac Twelve in terms of the contract negotiations. Uh, is he trying to destabilize the Pac Twelve? I mean, you could you could argue that he is when he says those things. You could also say, well, he's talking about San Diego State, Fresno State, or Boise. You know, uh, I know everybody immediately points to the four-pointer schools when you talk about getting in the fourth time zone. But, you know, Arizona and Arizona State are not in the Pacific time zone for the crucial month of the football season, and Utah and Colorado are never in it. Uh, Would the Big 12 like those four schools? Absolutely. But I think there's also, they look at it like there's other options to expand west if the Pac-12 stays together.
0: Yeah, I think uh, it's just weird to me that he's talking about it so much. Meanwhile, you know, I mean, George Kwiatkow did talk about it on media day, but he's pretty much gone underground. I don't get yeah, the... two very
1: different approaches. Very yeah. Which is clear. Yormark says the things out loud that commissioners only say in private. He's he's the total opposite, whereas you could argue that Pac-12 should have been more uh, a little bit more proactive with its public messaging in the last— you know, uh, what, two and a half months. But they took the tack they did, and your mark is very different in his his approach.
0: John Wilner with us, Bay Area News Group. I want to turn the focus a little bit to the weekend. Oregon trying to bounce back. Eastern Washington is the opponent. I asked a question to our listeners earlier. I said, the bigger gap, is it between Oregon and Georgia or Oregon and Eastern Washington? How would you answer that?
1: Uh, that's a great question. It's certainly, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think Oregon's going to win 49-3. Does that, how's that, does that answer
0: it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, have
1: they said any, is Bo Nix, is Bo Nix for sure the starting quarterback
0: Saturday? I, we're all assuming so, because right, I mean, if he was going to make a change, does he, I don't know. I mean, like, maybe he does make it, uh, for the opening, you know, series of the game, or maybe he lets Bo come in and get a couple quarters and then, he lets somebody else get a chance to play, or maybe, maybe the reason we haven't seen any of these other guys is that maybe they're not any good. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean that could be very well be the case. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you know if, if Thompson or, or Butterfield, you know, get a series or two in the first half. Maybe when the game is competitive, uh, you know, why not see what those guys can do? Right. Uh, at the same time, if we don't see him, maybe. You may have a great point. Maybe they're not ready, and that would be a pretty telling statement uh, unto itself.
0: I'm going to look at the schedule outside of Oregon Eastern Washington, uh, but let's start with that game. Uh, What do the Ducks, in your mind, have to prove in that game?
1: I mean, I just think they need to show uh, a level of competency that you would expect against a a big sky opponent. Eastern Washington is usually pretty competitive uh, with Pac-12 schools. So, you know, Oregon should be ahead at halftime by a couple of scores and shouldn't really be under any kind of pressure in the third and fourth quarter. And I think if they they are, that'll that'll be pretty telling. I mean, there's no way they're not going to have any kind of, you know, uh, emotional breakdown or... uh, uh, any kind of uh, mental issues after that beating. That was a—that was one that was so bad, it it lost your confidence a little. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they respond. I think it's a good test. It's a, certainly a better test than than I would have expected because I didn't expect they were going to lose
0: 49-3. Wilner, the Beavers are going to Fresno State. Jeff Tedford and Fresno State expected to be pretty good. They got a quarterback. You got Tedford. You got a hostile environment. Uh, Oregon State at uh, Fresno State. Uh, in your mind, how important is that game for Jonathan Smith and Oregon State, and how important is it for the conference?
1: Well, certainly any game against the Mountain West these days is it has taken on added significance because the Pac-12 did so poorly last year. right? So every one of these games, whether it's San Diego State or Fresno State, uh, Boise State, is more of a, a – a weapon of judgment in some ways for the for the Pac-12 and, and often a no-win situation. It's like, well, sure, you should beat the Mountain West teams, and if you don't, then it's a big story. So I think it is important uh, for Oregon State. Like, if they can win this game, then you got to think they're coming out of non-conference uh, 3-0. I don't remember who they have next week, but if you're 3-0 coming out of non-conference, you are in great position to get back into the postseason. So to me, this is a game, a lot of it is about the bowl math more than anything else.
0: As you look around the rest of the games for the weekend, uh, you know, there are some big ones. Arizona in the nightcap is hosting Mike Leach in Mississippi State. It's a really interesting game. I mean, Arizona's much better than they were a year ago. At least they look that way. But this is an SEC Pac-12 matchup where the Pac-12 is – Not traditionally fared well, Wilner. What do you see happening in that Arizona-Mississippi State game?
1: You know, I like the Wildcats. Uh, Certainly, I like them to cover. That's a big big spread. It's like 11 points. But, look, this is a rare You know, Pac-12 matchups against the other Power 5 conferences, you know, have not... uh, Pac-12's been set up to fail in a lot of cases, right? Utah's on the road. Oregon's in Atlanta defending champ, Arizona State at Oklahoma State, um, Washington State at, Mich- uh, at Wisconsin, right? Pac-12, a lot of road games against ranked opponents in Power 5 matchups. Well, here's the case where the Pac-12 is at home, and it's not an SEC power, right? I mean, Mississippi's a good team, but it's not like they're Bama or a and or Georgia. So, I think this is a game Pac-12... Needs to win, right? Even if Arizona is not one of the best teams in the league, you got Mississippi coming all the way over here. Petrol needs to win this kind of game if it's going to start to kind of rebuild its reputation.
0: Does that do enough? Does a win, an Arizona win over Mississippi State, help with the narrative, or is the damage done with Utah and Oregon losing?
1: I think some of the damage is done. I do think that there's enough time. For the cow to crawl back a little bit on the on the optics, you know. To me, the big one uh, is Washington Michigan State Week Three, right? Because Washington yeah. is clearly better than they were. Michigan State's a top level Big Ten team, and you got them in Seattle. That to me will, will be a big one for the conference's reputation. Cow uh, at Notre Dame—that's a tough assignment, right? For the Bears. Uh, just like ASU Oklahoma State in Stillwater is a tough assignment. So what so I'm looking at, at next week, to be honest with you, I think that is a gigantic game if the Pac-12 is going to reclaim a little bit of respect.
0: I want to pepper through some of these other games and just give you a chance to kind of give uh, a bullet point. But what are you looking for in the UCLA home game against uh... – Alabama State. Uh, what do you? What do you? What's the one thing you would want to know about that game by by Saturday night?
1: Uh, what the Alabama State marching band played.
0: <laughs> I want to know how many people are going to show up.
1: Well, that too. What's the uh, the bar is at twenty seven thousand. They may get a few more uh, because it's not a holiday weekend. Although I haven't checked what the temperature is supposed to be in LA this weekend. But look. The Alabama State's band is awesome. So that to me that's what you tune in for.
0: Amen to that. Arizona State, Oklahoma State. That game's on ESPN in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It feels like a tough matchup, but Arizona State every once in a while surprises people.
1: Yeah, no, that's Oklahoma State's good and that's gonna be real interesting. Huh? there's a chance ASU can get run off the field. Uh if they if, if it's ASU last year and there's like you know, 10 false start penalties and three turnovers, they're going to get run off the field. So we'll see what kind of discipline they've got this year, whether that's better at all.
0: Wilner, USC going to Stanford. What are you looking for there?
1: Well, I think it's going to give us a lot better education as to, you know, the reality for, for both schools, right? SC looked great against Rice, and Stanford looked great against Colgate. and I'm not sure either. Is as good as it looked uh, last weekend. You know, Stanford always plays SC well in these early season games. So uh, the the coaching advantage that David Shaw has had over the last however many years no longer exists. But you know, I do want to see SC get pushed a little bit and see how see how all their new guys respond and whether they've got more, you know, more heart than they've shown in the last five ten years.
0: Do you, do you give Stanford a shot in that game? Do they have a puncher's oh, chance? Yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, they got a really good quarterback. I think Stanford is going to score on SC. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, are they defensively, will Stanford hold up enough, get enough stops in the second half to take it down to the wire? I wouldn't describe it off. it's a one-possession game with five minutes left.
0: Yeah, I, I keep looking at that going, here's the chance for David Shaw to get all those Stanford fans who are all over him off his back. I mean, this is that would truly be David Shaw is back. Stanford's an eight plus win team. I mean, the hype would be uh, incredible coming out of that game. And I and I don't know about you, but I you know I looked at USC and I had a hard time kind of figuring out. Like they look like their offense looks good. Looks like they'll score some points, but I, I still don't know who they are under Lincoln Riley. It might take us.
1: You know, into into October before we have a real good feel. To me, a lot of it's about their defense. They had three pick sixes against Rice, but you know that's not going to happen against Tanner McKee. He's arguably the best pro prospect at quarterback position in the Pac-12. So, how is that defense going to do? You know, the line of scrimmage is it going to get pressure? Are they going to make plays in the secondary? That is the big unknown. If their defense is is even decent. Then, then they're going to be real good. But you know they
0: can score. Wilner, I'm going to cut you loose. I appreciate you. We've got a new podcast episode coming out tomorrow. Konzano and Wilner, the podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get a podcast, Konzano and Wilner, find it there. Thank you, John Wilner. Thanks, my friend. There he is, Bay Area News Group superstar. Anything jump out to you, Stephen? You're the better here. Stanford-USC, you got a a feel on that game right now?
2: I mean, I'm still feeling Stanford a little bit. I think Wilner's right on that. Stanford definitely has a chance. And like you said, USC with the three pick sixes, I know that's great, but that's not going to happen again. And knowing Stanford to watch them for so many years, you know Davis Shaw is going to just try to pound the rock on them and be physical, right? Because that's the whole question about USC. Are they physical enough on the front line? They weren't a season ago. Can Stanford do that and kind of slow the game down a little bit, make a couple stops, and stay with him? I think number one up to nine today. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to wait a little longer. Hopefully it gets to 10, which is be a great, a great bet for me. Um, but, yeah, I like Stanford that game. The other thing that jumped out to me, John, was when he was talking about Arizona State, Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State, I mean, that is a tough place to play down in uh, Stillwater. If Arizona State is undisciplined like they usually are, that game could get really out of hand, just like John Wilner said. And that game is going to show off. Does Herm have a good grasp of his team and have them disciplined and ready to go? Because Oklahoma State is going to come out jumping in that one. Spencer Sanders and all those guys, man, I, that seems like a blowout waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that one could get ugly. I, I am really interested in Arizona and Jaden Delora against Mike Leach and Mississippi State. That game should be at, – that Arizona-Mississippi State game could be a lot of fun. I disagree with Wilner a little bit. I don't think Arizona winning that game, I don't think erases the narrative for me week one. I don't think it makes anybody think anything differently because I think they're going to view Mike Leach and Mississippi state as a different kind of SEC program. And we've seen Mike Leach lose some, he's got some bad losses. Like, you know, he was at Washington state. He lost to Portland state. You know, we, every once in a while, a Mike Leach coach team lays an egg and just doesn't play well. And, offensively doesn't have it together. And, you know, I think the narrative on that one, I think it's going to take a lot more work from the Pac-12 to erase what happened in week one. Yeah,
2: I think with Arizona, if they pull off that win, what it's going to do is going to make it so every Pac-12 team doesn't just count that as a win. Right before the season, you're counting out wins. Your team plays Arizona. That's a win right there. If they beat Mississippi State after beating San Diego State on the road, you can't count that up as a win, a guaranteed win anymore.
0: Yeah, amen to that. All right, our uh, big splash coming up. Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State coach, Later in the program, you got the BFT. Leave it here. What's the big splash?
2: Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
0: Jeff Tedford, the Fresno State coach, former Oregon assistant on tomorrow's show. That should be a good one. Every day on the program, we give you the big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. This is
2: the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look! Look! Look at it. Where? Down there. Buffy. The big splash.
0: <laughs> Doug Gottlieb tweeted in late June that. Freddie Freeman's agent, Casey Close, never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer. Close and Excel Sports Management sued Gottlieb in mid-July in a U.S. district court in Manhattan, alleging defamation by libel. Gottlieb tweeted an apology today. He said, quote, upon further vetting of my sources, a review of the lawsuit filed against me in this matter In a direct conversation with Casey himself, I have learned that the conduct I alleged did not occur, and there is no credible basis for stating that it did. He he wrote, My ultimate investigation in this matter confirms that Casey Close did, in fact, communicate all offers to Freddie Freeman, and the sources I relied upon were incorrect in no uncertain terms. Gottlieb uh, 58 um, uh, said at the beginning that, Freeman had fired Close. However, Freeman's listed agency remains XL, according to the Players Association. Uh, Gottlieb uh, appears on Fox Sports, on the Pac-12 network, on CBS Sports. Um, in the suit, uh, Close says that the Braves offered Freeman $110 million over five years, then made $125 million five-year proposal, then upped it to $135 million all of it was rejected by Freeman. Uh, it appears as though Freddie Freeman, who signed for $162 million in six years with the Dodgers, knew what he was getting into when he, when he uh, signed the document on the dotted line. I think you've got to be really careful. Like, First of all, like, it's a great example of why you can't just throw crap out there. There's a lot of people on social media. There are some people in mainstream media who rely upon sources that are credible. But there are also some others who, I don't know why, just sort of get into the frenzy. Maybe it's the attention. I don't know what it is, but get into the practice of just throwing crap out there that is shaky information. And I've told people this, and I'm going to say it again. Like, you're never going to hear me on this show repeat something or say something that I can't vet or I don't believe is credible and pass it off as breaking news. I'm never going to do that to you. I'm never, like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I'm never going to take information from a source that I'm just not sure about. And that happens all the time. All the time I get tips and I get information and I go, ah, spider senses tell me that that may not be all that it seems. And what I do with that information is instead of just regurgitating it or quickly tweeting it, I will turn around. I think the responsible thing to do that most journalists will do is you turn around and you run that by somebody who is in a position to tell you, yes, it's true, no, it's not true. In a lot of cases, like what Doug Gottlieb should have done is he should have gone to Excel, should should have gone right to the agent and said, hey, I have a source telling me that you didn't tell Freddie Freeman that that the Braves had made this offer. And that gives Excel the opportunity to go, well, yes, we did. And Gottlieb could have then reported, look, I heard this. I asked Excel. This is what they said. See, that's a fair way to report that. The unfair way to report it is just to throw it out there and tweet it, which is what Gottlieb did. Every, you know, everybody makes mistakes, but the stakes in this game are too high to take chances. Just way too high. You know, and I tell people who read me at johnkanzano.com like, one of the reasons you come to this radio show or one of the reasons maybe that you read me at johnkanzano.com is that you're going to get sourced, in-depth, breaking news, quality, deep-dive information that you know to be accurate. You're not; It's not guesswork. It's not, you know... I'm, I'm not sitting around in the basement. I'm, uh, you know, I know where to go with the information, and it's going to be sourced, and it's going to be, be fact-checked. And so uh, you know, it's really a sad story because I remember when it broke, I thought, oh, my gosh, they didn't talk to Freddie Freeman. They didn't tell him there's an offer. Like It's literally the biggest sin that an agent could commit. And I don't blame Excel and Casey Close for, for filing a lawsuit, uh, defamation and libel against Gottlieb, and apparently the result is that Gottlieb has apologized. Coming up, Punch It Audio, Jonathan Smith, Oregon State's coach, coming up in hour number three. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. We interrupt this podcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio show. Thanks for listening.